Welcome one, welcome all. Welcome to the goddamn Bricks in the Wall. I am your host, Juan, a.k.a. Truth in Media on Instagram. And uh, I got another special guest for y'all today. Uh, I got someone with an amazing attitude and an amazing story. Uh, today I have a friend that I met online. Um, someone who actually has stared into the abyss that death is and overcame it. He is a normal everyday dude speaking truth, spreading love and knowledge. He is a photographer, a husband, a father, a car guy. He's also a crystal collector. He plays the guitar. And most of all, impressively, he beat cancer's ass. And that's what I want to talk to him about. Kind of the whole health look at this whole bricks in the wall through the lens of health and um, big pharma and how to like sort of heal yourself. And I think, I don't know, I think it's illegal to say that you can cure cancer. I don't know if that's true. I think I heard that somewhere, but I think it's crazy how there's no alternative methods to, to fight this. And it's usually just what big pharma says and whatever the medical schools say that should go, goes. And so we're going to get into it. So without any further ado, I want to introduce to y'all your comrade and mine, Mr. David G. How are you doing today, Mr. David? I'm doing great, man. It's great to be here. Right, thanks for coming on, brother. It's my pleasure. Uh, where are you? Where are you talking from, brother? You're in the East Coast. I'm about an hour north of Atlanta, in the base of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Oh, Atlanta. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, so starting off, I'm sure you heard about the whole Georgia Guidestone thing, right? Oh yeah. Well, what do you think about it? Since you're so close to that, are you close to that area? Uh, no, I'm a good ways from there. But I, you know, I'll say I wasn't that shocked by it. Um, you know, it's not something you would have expected necessarily, but once it happened, it, it seemed to make sense. People have kind of had enough. Right. And, and what, uh, and what know, do you think this is? Do you think, because I've also been seen a lot of people say that this is probably just a planned thing or a planned dis distraction, but what do you think this is? I don't think it makes big enough news to really be much of a planned distraction. They're doing enough of that. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, I remember hearing about that news, and then I was just, like, in my mind, the first thing I thought about was that quote by Confucius, which goes something along the lines of, uh, it's not laws or, um, or what was it? It's something about, it's not laws that make the world go round. It's uh, symbols. It's all about the symbolic world. Symbols mean more to the, to the elite than, than laws. They, they supersede laws in a sense. To them, it's all about symbolism and hiding things in a cult way from the, from the masses. When I saw it put real well one time that rules are for the poor. Right, yeah, exactly. The, the rich can afford to get out of whatever they might get into and go about their business. Right, yeah, and exactly. That's why the whole legal system is structured in a way to, if you have the money, you can basically, like, uh, squeeze out the enemy because they don't have the money to keep on fighting and legislating through through years of, of court court rulings and court proceedings that they just give up, and basically corporations always beat the little guy. Exactly. Okay. All right, so t just tell us a little bit about yourself, David, and uh, what you do in your normal everyday life. Yeah, I'm 53 years old. I, uh, in my normal everyday life and work, I run a consulting company in the franchise advertising space. And uh, in my spare time, I spend as much time with my soulmate as I possibly can. That's awesome. And, uh, a lot of people say family first, but that's always been at a different level for me. The whole world stops when everybody's not good, so. Right. I love that. I love that. Um, and also, we, we kind of threw some ideas around, and you mentioned that 
you actually never met your father. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, my father, unfortunately, was killed in action in Vietnam about a month before I was born. And so I never got the honor of meeting him. And, and that's, uh, that's very sad to hear, but I think in a way, I mean, I don't know. Uh, do, you, uh, do you know how your father was? Did they tell you about him, how he was as a person? Oh, yeah. And, and we're very similar people. And it, it's kind of an odd story. Um, it left me as the last in line and sole survivor, sole surviving child. And so if I had served, I couldn't have done anything anyway. But then my oldest son decided to go in. And that was probably the hardest thing I've ever done is letting him take off into what had taken my father. Oh, man. That's crazy. And I don't know if maybe that played a role in you being closer, like with your family, that you didn't see your father. Is that something that you took into consideration as you uh, started a family? Yeah, very much so. And, and then I grew up with uh, a somewhat abusive alcoholic stepfather. Oh, shit. And so I, I was very much trying to do what I wanted done that wasn't done in my home life. Mm. And uh, yeah, I, I've, I've got kids that are in their 20s that still want to spend a night home with their parents. So. I'm blessed. Wow, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it's, I think that's such a rare thing nowadays. Um, I think nowadays kids, and especially in American culture, it's in kind of entrained into them that as soon as they're 18, it's time for them to leave the house. And uh, I think uh, I think I like more the traditional old school. I, I'm, my family's Mexican, so Mexicans usually have the old school traditional values. So we tend to stay with the family longer and, you know, be, be there more at parties and, and gatherings. And... I don't really see that in today's culture. Yeah, very much so. And, and my grandmother was a very big influence on my life. And so, you know, I, I've looked at it that the old ways are the right ways. Yeah. And really one of the biggest problems we've got in this country was breaking the nuclear family apart yes. and making everyone transient and alone. Right, right. No support system, no structure, no skills that they learn from family business, et cetera. Right, yeah. And right there, when you said the old ways are the best, uh, I immediately remember Terrence McKenna. He has a quote, or he has this idea about when culture or societies are falling apart, the thing they do is they, they, they reach back into the most ancient, archaic uh, forms of living to kind of to reset society because it, it's crumbling, it's falling apart, and uh, subconsciously the collective consciousness is, seeks back. It tries to go back and reset and rewind things to how they were, uh, like you said, simpler and better because it was, it was truer than... I think it's amazing yeah. that people like in the 1930s who went through the Great Depression, I mean, they survived it fine because they knew how to farm, they knew how to grow their own... Grow their own food, how to make their own clothes, how to fix their own things. But man, if, now that it's happening, you're seeing people in society just collapsing, especially like, I'm sure you see all the videos of people like just breaking into stores in California. There's no repercussions. They just go in and steal all that stuff without any remorse. Yeah, and it's wild. I mean, things are coming a bit unhinged and it, yet it's being perpetuated. Right. It, 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 so much of it seems intentional at this point that it's undeniable. You yeah, know? it's systematic. Like you can tell they're doing it on purpose. Like you said, they're destroying the family unit because you destroy the family unit. That, that, with that alone, you can destroy and take down a whole nation. Yep. Well, and then you, 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 know, you compound it with everything we've done to ourselves with environmental impact from our microwave, cell phones, right. you know, Wi-Fi, yeah. you, you name it, microplastics, everything. Yeah, I know. It's sad. It's so sad. I remember one time I was on a deep mushroom trip and I was kind of having a bad time because I was just thinking how we've poisoned everything for our kids. The wind, the air is poisoned, the water is poisoned. 
uh, the, the soil is poisoned, uh, everything is poisoned, and it's just like, what have we left for our kids? It's basically just just poison. Well, yeah, yeah, and all, all of it done in the name of money right. and, and by, by large corporations and the lobbies and all of that. Yeah, so we're going to get into all that, and I really want to talk to you about your whole situation because you, you're a cancer survivor, correct? I am. Okay. Four so, years. Amazing, brother. That's amazing. I applaud you, and man, I, I'm sure your family was so happy. Oh, yeah. I appreciate that. All right, so let's get to that. Let's work up to that. So I, sure. I, I looked at your profile, and I love Instagram because you can really get a sense of a person. So I know you got several hobbies like crystals. Uh, you like taking pictures of cars. You're a photographer. Uh, you play the guitar, you have some badass tattoos, uh, are there, and, and you travel, you like traveling, which I'm sure everyone does, but um, is there any other hobbies that you don't really show on Instagram? Uh, we do a lot of gardening, we live on 10 acres and do a lot of work outside, plants, vegetables, stuff like that. Really? So you grow yeah. your own food? Well, not, a, not enough to sustain, but yes, enough to barter with and, and work with. Oh, so you trade with uh, local people? Wow, what do you trade? What, what kind of stuff do you I mean, get? Like cantaloupe for eggs, things of that nature. Wow, see, that, like that, that's the old ways. Like you just said, man, that's, that's how people used to do it back then. Everyone in the neighborhood grew something or had something to trade or something to share or something. <clears throat> it's a purpose. Yeah, when, and I lived in the city till I was, I guess, about 30. Mm -hmm. And uh, went out to the country after that, and I'll never go back. <laughs> so this was about how long, 10 years ago? Uh, 20 years ago. 20 years ago, you left the city. And how far are you from, like, a major city? Um, well, it's getting closer every day. Right. Uh, it used to be 25 minutes to the grocery store. Now it's five minutes to Walmart. Really? So uh, the nearest I, grocery store, oh, yeah. sorry, is 25 minutes? It was when I first moved up here. Oh, shit. That's um, awesome. But now the city keeps getting closer, and it's time to move further out. Right, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, there's something about a small town. There's... There's almost no crime because everybody knows they might be breaking into their boss's sister's house or God knows what. Everyone knows everyone. There's some accountability to it and some respect about it. Right. Yeah, yeah, man. And, and, and when much, you, sorry, minds man. their own business and does their own thing, you know? Yeah, man. And when you think about it, that's how communities were back then, small local communities where everyone knew each other. They were accountable, kind of like an expanded tribe. But now yeah. cities are kind of like, I think they've been designed to just separate people and you don't know your neighbors yeah. you work miles from uh, home so. the average apartment dweller moves every year damn yep you know it's 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 so disconnected and people don't realize how much of their problem is that lack of any substance yeah 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 i uh i visited mexico uh, about two three years ago and it's just man how they have the local square there's actual local square where the markets are when people congregate right. and they have the they meet their people and you don't have that here where i live no. is just streets and then just uh, sh a bunch of capitalist consumer stores and that's really it there's no place where people just gather to no, hang yeah, out. i mean it's gotten to where everybody gears their life towards escaping from their monday to friday right. and you know there's at the end of the day it's it's all become about going and shopping for things or entertaining yourself or finding some way to not really have to do anything of substance exactly that's what i always ask people like tell me what is american culture other than sports watching sports or buying things there really isn't no culture yeah well i mean what, what we've seen is what happens if you let everyone do whatever they want 
right. at the end of the day. Yep. Not, not from a socialist type of perspective, but once you give everyone the freedom to have whatever they want, do whatever they want with very little repercussion, it's, it's very underwhelming right. what, what people choose to do. Right. And look, I'm, I'm, I'm totally on you with that. But to push back, I, I, I totally also believe humans should have the right to do whatever they want. But oh, I yeah. think what you mean is we should at least some, have some type of moral structure. Yeah, I guess what I mean is, you know, the ability to have anything on demand oh, yeah. is yeah. really what happened in America. It, it can be the middle of the night. And if you're in a city, you can get whatever you want if you have enough money and know the right people. Right. right. And, uh, you know, when you let people really just go about their their free will in this disconnected situation, it, it gets ugly. Right. Yeah, man. And like and to go back when, when, when you're trying to escape what you're going through on a daily basis, you, you're going to do things that are not beneficial. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And then to go tie that back into where now you're in the country, you have to become self-sufficient. You have to be able to treat yourself if you get injured or hurt. And not like you said, in the city, you could just call the ambulance. They come pick you up and stitch you up. But like if right. you're in the country, you have to figure it out on your own. And well, I mean, you know, it, go outside, take a walk in the woods, go spend a day at the lake, you know, do, do the things that are going to ground you out. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I'm, I'm just, I don't know how people do it in nothing but concrete anymore. Yeah. I really could you imagine like just growing up in New York City, like not really seeing trees and stuff? Yeah. It's, uh, I, I can't imagine. And I think it should be, like, it's just wild to me to think how they don't, they don't educate kids at all. Like, you would think the greatest nation on earth would teach kids at least basic survival skills, but I think it, it should be mandatory. Like, for just where they throw their money. Most, we throw, I think, I forgot how much it was, $20 billion, I think. I don't even know how much the budget is now for the military of the U.S., but... They throw so much money at the military, yet the kids kids are having to pay for their own lunch. You know, I think it's well, ridiculous. And, and we don't teach mental health and wellness. We don't teach how to be a complete person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like what I was trying to get at is I think it would be amazing if they had, like, courses for kids to, like, go, like you said, go in the lake, go fish, go be a natural human. Learn how to survive on your own and instead of depending, yeah. depending on the system. Sure. Okay, so let's get into it because I'm always super curious about people who undergo deep, transcendent experiences, whether it's something like a breakup, a death, um, uh, psychedelic, or religious mystical experiences. But in your case, near death, you know, I want to hear your story. I want to know what it's, to, what it's like to go through something like you did, like to go through something like to have cancer. So tell us from the beginning and what you think led up to, your, to you getting sick. Sure. Uh, I think leading up to me getting sick was purely environmental stuff we've done, processed foods, things of that nature, not, not eating right. And uh, some of us are just more prone to react certain ways than others. I really think that's what did it. So just eating basically box stuff, um, not really... Fast, yeah, fast food, processed food, not, n nothing that was not out of a factory at some point. Okay. And uh, what kind of cancer did you, did you have? I had colon cancer. Okay. And did you, how did you find out? Where, did you go to the doctor regularly and he gave you some uh, warning? Or? You know, I kept getting sicker. Uh, I'd have bouts where I'd throw up uncontrollably and things of that nature. Wound up in the emergency room several times. And it, it just kept progressing and getting worse. 
and then went and had a colonoscopy and it was a very aggressive cancer. Wow, so it was already uh, like what stage? I had like 80% blockage, stage two. Damn. So, okay, so this is pretty serious because whenever, I personally don't know anyone who's gone through such a thing, um, but I remember right now where you were telling me that and I thought about it before. Have you seen the show Breaking Bad? I have. Yeah, I'm sure you know Walter, he gets cancer and that's why he starts uh, making crack and selling it. Yep. But uh, there's this one scene that stuck with me that and, uh, when he's at the doctor's office and the doctor's giving him the prognosis and telling him, hey, you know, you have a deadly disease and stuff. And, and he kind of like zooms out and the, and the sound windows and you can see him kind of like just blanking out and staring into space and like having a yeah. moment, a moment with himself. Did you have something like that? <clears throat> yeah, very much so. I mean, the, the moment they tell you you've got cancer, it, it takes a minute to sink in that all of a sudden there's chances you'll live or die right. and that there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. And, and it, it takes a while to come to terms with that. When they diagnosed me, um, I got lucky and was able to get out of it with surgery and we can talk more about all that. But <clears throat> the, the killer with it was a two month delay between diagnosis and when you're going to get worked on. Right. And uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of reckoning there. And, you know, I'm a grounded person, lots of psychedelics throughout the years. Nice. Um, not someone who has demons to fight or doesn't have their priorities straight. But at the same time, you you realize your mortality and you ask yourself, have I done right? Wow. And yeah. am I okay if I die tomorrow with what I've done and how I've done it? Right. And... Uh, you know, like we had said, uh, family first for me always. So I, I didn't have like a Steve Jobs moment where I went, oh, I did it wrong. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't feel like I had my priorities out of order or had a bunch of regret. I just felt like I wasn't done mm -hmm. and, and I wasn't finished. And, and my wife and I both are people that follow their heart, follow their instinct. And so we've been companions on a journey to a, this destination that we've had in our head for years. We've been together for 32 years. And uh, you're like, wow, I'm not gonna get there. Time got cut short. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just, it really puts you face to face with what you can't control. Yeah, I think that's awesome, man. Uh, and I like how you tied it back to psychedelics because I've also done a lot of psychedelics. And I like to think I like to um, entertain the idea that if I was to ever go through something like that, I would be able to write it out easily because I've, I've gone through such intense moments where I think I'm actually dying on psychedelics. So it's kind of like a practice run maybe. I hope I'm not yeah. offending anyone or making it seem no, no. It's like that. I wouldn't that. think so. But well, there's, um, you know, there's, there's very much a, there's, there's a come to terms with sadness about it because you feel like a victim. And, and if you're someone that lives your life to the fullest, that's really not the role you'd like to play at all. Right. And so, you know, there's that bit of grief with, I can't fix this, I feel helpless. Right. But aside from that, it, it really comes to how you feel about yourself. Right. Right. And then there again, a determination that th this isn't how it ends. I, I really think part of it's mental, not completely, but part of it. No, totally, man. I can imagine. I love how I think maybe the way that you lived your life, especially psychedelics and you just being a loving person, I love how you kind of put it in that way that you weren't regretful. You weren't like, oh, I messed up. 
I, how, how did I get here? You were more like just accepting yeah. it kind of, and just kind of, you were, you knew you were a good father, a good husband, so you weren't really like sad. I mean, I'm no, sure I mean, anyone I, to, to get that kind of news would be like, oh man, to be confronted with your moral mortality, that doesn't happen every day. And like, that's, I think that's part of the issue with society. We're not easy, like you said, to tie it back with what you said earlier, we have it so easy. We have food yeah. a, a button away that we don't never really contemplate our mortality or think about death. We're no. just like living, I don't know, not even living, most, mostly in a zombie-like state. Well, and then there again, it, I mean, one thing that comes out of it as, as you come through the other side of it is you're all of a sudden cognizant that every minute of your day is a decision and that the time is short and every day should have something in it so that if it's over tomorrow, you're good. Right. So, and, so when you got the news, were you on, on the phone? Uh, you went yeah, at the office. Again, I, I didn't come through it with really any regret, other than I, my my really only regret was that I could have done more for my family before I was gone. Mm. You know, I wasn't thinking about myself as much as I was thinking about them. Yeah, that's beautiful. Uh, that kind of reminds me of this uh, story by uh, Andy Weir. Have you heard of the story, The Egg? I've not. I'm going to send it to you later, but it's basically the story of this guy who who dies some night and, and he, his soul transcends and he's basically meeting God and and uh, he asks him, am I dead? And then God tells him, yes, you're dead. So his first question is, what about my family? And God responds, that's beautiful. I love that. That's the first thing you thought about. You didn't think about yourself. You, you brought it back to your family and to your loved ones. And th that's how you know you lived the right life. I mean, it's all about love and having that connection with, with people. Yeah, yep. Okay, Priorities. so uh, so when you got the news, were you at the office or was it through the phone or? Um, I'm trying to remember now where we were. It seems like, it seems like I was on the phone. Okay. Um, when the news came across. And like, how did it impact you? Like, I'm very curious about this moment. Like, did you sit down? Did you like, what, what happened? Yeah, you, you sit down. I mean, there's part of you that's in shock and part of you that's not surprised because you knew something was wrong. I mean, mm -hmm. there was a time at which I told my wife, I, I, I'm dying. I'm, I'm deteriorating. Something's wrong. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it, it very much is a slap in the face. I mean, a, a, of all the things you could hear that might upset your day, that one just really, it, it wipes everything out where nothing else matters. Right, right. I mean, it doesn't matter if the dishes are done, or the laundry's done. Did you get to work on time today? N none of that matters at that point. All, all you're thinking about is, I might not be here tomorrow. Exactly. You're looking at you're looking at your life as a whole, instead of looking at it in a segment. Right. Yeah, and I think that's beautiful. That that right there, that moment of like really contemplating death. Because I just recently also rewatched The Revenant. Have you seen that movie? I have not. That's a really great movie. It's DiCaprio, and in the movie, he gets attacked by a bear. And, like, I just thought about that when you said um, nothing else matters at that moment. When you're being attacked by a bear, it doesn't matter that you didn't pay your bill. It doesn't matter that your car's out of gas. What matters right now is surviving in the moment and, like, trying to figure your way out. And, like, that's so rare in humans nowadays. They rarely ever have that experience or that thought in their everyday life. Everything's so fine. People are so complacent that they find the dumbest shit to argue about, like uh, gender or uh, just the dumbest shit that people, if they were really trying to survive, th that those thoughts wouldn't even enter their mind. No, and, and in that moment, you're looking at, you know, how many people have I impacted enough that 
losing me makes a difference. Right, right. You know, and at the end of the day, it, I mean, it's harsh to say, and most people would probably think it's not true, but outside of your family, you've typically got about five people that honestly are going to be off center if you're not in, in the world anymore. There's, there's not a bunch. There's a lot of people you know, and a lot of people who wish you no ill will and would love to see you succeed. But as far as being instrumental in their life, there's very few. And you sort of realize how small you are. Wow, man, that's fucking... That's very sad to think, but yeah, there's so many people out there that don't even make a blip on the map and and they're lonely and they live a sad life. But that's why, like I said, it's very important that we have this connection. And it's not even being taught in schools. What's taught in schools, not even like uh, on paper, it's just subliminally competition. And capitalism yeah. thrives on competition, on, on not stepping on others, but like on beating your opponent, how to be, have the better product, the best advertisement, just how yeah. to put others down so that you can it, overcome. Yeah, it's, it's, all, it's all about coming out on top. And none of it's about giving more than you take. Right. Right. Okay, so um, I don't know if you know the comedian Norm MacDonald. I do. Yeah, uh, he, he was on big movies with uh, Adam Sandler and stuff. But um, he had cancer, and he never told anybody. He, I didn't either. Yeah, he... Uh, oh, you didn't either. Okay, that's what I want to oh. ask about. So he never told anyone, and he said he didn't want to hurt people, and... He barely even told the people he was close to, maybe one or two. And um, I wanted to know uh, what your perspective on this is. And yeah, I, I, I did the same thing. My, my parents, my wife, one of my children, the other one had just left for the Navy and was in basic training, and we really didn't want to run him through that. Hmm. Um, and it wasn't going to matter. You know, however it came out was how it was going to come out, right? Right. And so, yeah, I, I had my best friend knew, and I think that's it. I, I, I had a, a, a total of about six people. Okay, and I could totally understand about your son being at the Army base and you don't want to distraught him, yeah. his mind, but what, what is the reasoning behind this? Um, the reason I didn't tell anybody was I, I didn't want the deluge of sudden concern people you haven't talked about, people that haven't been integral in your life, and all of a sudden you've given them something to worry about. And I didn't want everyone coming to me with it. I already had it, and I had it to deal with. And I didn't need everyone coming to me with a constant reminder or I'm in a position of weakness or, or any of that. I just wanted to deal with it on my own and let everybody know how it came out. And that worked out weird as well. As you go tell people, yeah, I just went and fought death. That if they haven't been there in your life necessarily to the degree they could have or should have, they have an immense sense of guilt, and it forms a disconnect. Mm -hmm. I found that very interesting on the back end of it. People that I could have told that would have reacted, but after it's all said and done, to hear the news, they they almost feel like they didn't do enough for you or weren't there for you or didn't care enough or I don't know what it is. I haven't really asked anyone who's been in that position what the foundation is to their feelings, but it was interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. See, I see. I don't know what I would do because I think 
Uh, I like to joke around and stuff, so part of me thinks I would like to use it as a kind of a get-out-of-jail card, because I know a lot of people would use it as a, oh, I have cancer, please have sympathy for me, but I like, right. you didn't go that route. You were just like, I'm in, dealing with it internally. Uh, my family and the people that I really love can know and help me in this fight. Yeah, well, and, and let's keep in mind, too, I was almost 50 at the time. You know, I wasn't in my 20s where it, as, as you age and your children age and, and everything moves forward, there again, you realize that you know a thousand people you're cool with, but your true friends are, are few. The ones that, that lighten your burdens and, and multiply your joys. Right, right. Yeah, man. And it's great that you had that group of people to, to, to help you into, through that moment. I don't yeah. know if you've heard this. I don't know if you listened to the Joe Rogan show, but um, he had Jim Brewer right. on. And um, he was telling this amazing story of this guy who was injured. He was a veteran, and he was injured, and he couldn't walk. He was in a wheelchair. And his wife noticed he was getting depressed and sad, and uh, she was just trying to do something for him to, to kind of cheer him up. So she remembers he liked Metallica, and Metallica was coming through town. So she got him some tickets, and she took him, and he had a great time. You know, he was bumping his fist. And he had such a great time that his wife noticed that he, his situation was actually, he actually improved because yeah. he was such in a, a, a place of love and like acceptance and this, this powerful energy, especially if you listen to Metallica. I mean, you got your fist pumping, you got energy coursing through your body. And so she bought him a, they started following the band. They, they like toured with the band and like come to find out he stops using a wheelchair and like completely heals himself. And and Love it wasn't it. The, the big pharma stuff because they had actually stopped taking all of that. And yeah. the music and the camaraderie and the community healed him. And I just think, like, man, I, I want to get your perspective on this because a lot of people are now figuring out how big pharma yeah. is just a tool. So please Yeah, tell us. I mean, big pharma is definitely the problem, right? I mean, they, they make their money off the sickness. We call it health care, but you shouldn't need care unless you're not healthy. Right. Um, it's gotten to where everyone's on prescription medication of some kind, the vast majority, overwhelming majority of the country. I don't take anything on a daily basis. Um, I feel like whatever your problem is, there's a natural way to probably get over it. At the same time, though, it's not all quantum physics, right? You can't just say, I don't have cancer loud enough, and it's gone. Right. Um, so, I mean, it, there's definitely something to it, to, to the mental perspective, and as well as, you know, exercise, sunshine, all the basics, um, you know, but at the same time, it's not just all some kumbaya and mind over matter at the same time. It's an interesting mix. But yeah, to say big pharma is part of the problem in this country is a radical understatement. Yeah, yeah. I think... And really, basically, I mean, how I look at it, if man produced it, and, and made it in a lab, you probably shouldn't put it in your body no matter what it is. Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. There's really nothing man-made that, that works well with your system. Right, right, exactly. And they, like, what I always try to remind people is, like, uh, petroleum-based medicine is, is barely 100 years old. People healed themselves for thousands of years, and they didn't use fucking yeah. chemicals. They used natural herbs, natural plants, alternative healing methods. They knew the body in a different way. Well, yeah, it all got it all got pushed out, right? right. I mean, here came, here came corporate pharma in, in its infancy, and then and the next thing you know, you don't even remember everything else 
uh, it's gone. It's not even being passed down generation to generation because no one's around each other anymore. Right. Like we talked about earlier, it's all disconnected and all of a sudden the, the knowledge is gone. It's like we're the ancient Egyptians or something. Right. Yeah, and um, I think it was in 1912 when they did the Flexner Report. So I think it was Rockefeller or the Rothschilds, the one who was involved with um, oil. Uh, they realized, yeah, yeah, the Rockefellers. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. So the Rockefellers realized that they can make uh, medicine based off of the petroleum, the oil that they were extruding from the earth. And yep. so they had all this money and all this power, and they changed the laws, and uh, they created against the FDA, the, the FDA and uh, the medical, American Medical Association. Yep. And, and they're the ones who actually dictated what the education system, the universities were going to be teaching the future doctors. So the Flexner report uh, erased all alternative ancient healing yeah. methods. And it said only these medicines can be prescribed. This is the way that we're going to go. We're going to go through yeah. medicine. Well, and, and, and once you lay all the government control in, you've isolated the people from doing what they do. They, they can't get through all, all the layers. And, and it turns into where corporations are your only outlet. It's a terrible mix. Yeah, yeah, and, and it sucks. They, they've hijacked and controlled every sector now, too, where they're, based, they're like I said earlier, they're poisoning the air, the water, the food, the clothes. Yeah, Everything is poison. Well, and I like, I, I laugh, my wife works at the hospital, and I, I would go in there sometimes for breakfast. They're going to tell you it's your drinking straw, but at the hospital, they're still using styrofoam, giving everyone plastic silverware. It's an absolute eco nightmare, right? Or, or it's your, it's the fuel in your car. It's not the hundreds of jets launching off my son's aircraft carrier every day. Yeah, they get great mileage. You don't even want to know. Um, it, it's all been portrayed that we're the problem. We should feel guilty. We should do without. And it's all so that the corporations can keep doing what they do. It, it's gross. Uh, yeah, right now, you when you were saying uh, how they make us look like we're the problem, it reminded me of a quote from Malcolm X. He said, the media is so powerful, it has the power to make the innocent look guilty and the guilty look innocent. And that's how powerful yeah. the media is. And it's so true. They fucking point their finger at us saying that we need to uh, watch our carbon footprint while they're flying around the earth on jets and on yachts. It's amazing. It, 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 it's truly amazing what actually goes on. And, and then, yeah, we're portrayed like we're doing something wrong, and it's really just so we'll do what they want. I mean, you're watching the country go through brownouts on their power grid, but they're telling you to buy an electric car. Oh. And, and I, I can't figure out, I mean, in the 70s, because I'm older, in the 70s, the hippies were against nuclear power. All of a sudden, here we are in the 2020s, and the far left is like, let's go get your electric car with a cobalt battery built by people in Africa where they tore the earth apart so that we can build another nuclear power plant to power your car. Like, that's a good idea. Right. It's crazy and the mental gymnastics people do and they don't even realize it. They, they don't realize what they're doing. They're doing what they feel like is right because it's what they've been told, but they don't think for themselves anymore. And I, I, I think half the problem is everybody drinking the water, to be honest. Right. Yeah, I honestly think the fluoride in the water makes everybody susceptible to just believing whatever they're told three or four times in a row. Yeah, yeah. Um, Hitler said, if you repeat a lie enough, uh, people will begin to believe it. Absolutely. 
Well, I mean, we watched we we watched Biden say the government's coming to help you, and it wasn't that long ago that Ronald Reagan said the last thing you ever want to hear is I'm from the government, I'm here to help. Exactly, exactly. It's just crazy how people forget so easily, so easily. Yeah, and it, it, it is. It's amazing, and and they they just don't pay enough attention. And well, and a lot of it too. I mean, everybody now that they, they don't slow down, they're just too distracted by it all. Right, right. And I look at it that way. I look at it as a distraction. It's give them bread and give them a circus and they'll be fine. Yeah. You know, and I, I look at everything now as it, it's all just marketing. It's all buy this, buy that, do this, be scared, stay home, this, that, the other. That, that's, that's really all the messaging is anymore. Yeah, just fear, pushing out fear. Yeah, or, or every, you know, you're on YouTube or something and every other commercial is the next medication you should take that might kill you. You know, and the, don't don't go on a diet and, and get your body straight. Just take the umpteenth medication for your diabetes and keep doing what you're doing, which is spending money on all this garbage and killing yourself. Keep it up. Right. Yeah. They got us on that rat wheel. Rat uh, wheel. What is it called? Where the mouses go on the rat race? Yeah, the hamster wheel. Hamster exactly. wheel. Exactly. Yeah. On a treadmill. Right. Running right. to stand still. That's right. it. So when you got your prognosis, uh, did, were they trying to get you to take medications or to take, do certain procedures? No, I, I got extraordinarily lucky and, and just had to go through surgery. Okay. Uh, chemo would have been rough on me. There, there's a lot of people that go through cancer way worse than I did. Okay. And, and we, uh, the, the, hard, the hard part on mine, I went in and had the surgery. I go back to see my surgeon and he goes, we got it all. Yay. Now I'll tell you in two weeks if you have lymphoma. Sure. <laughs> and you're like, are you kidding me? And, uh, you know, so there's another two weeks where you might have something completely incurable and die. Right. And, uh, yeah, then just got lucky on that stroke and was done. And, and honestly, you know, surgeons are almost emotionless. And, and mine looked up at me and all the color drained out of his face. And he goes, I, I think you're done with me. Wow. I, I could tell he was surprised. So one shot and you got it all. One shot, got it all, about a two-month physical recovery because it's basically like getting a C-section but way deeper into your body. Mm. And uh, yeah, about a two-month physical recovery, not including you know rehabbing yourself and actually getting back, but about two months ago where I was moving around normal, no pain. And tell me, like you said you had that two-week uh, waiting period. What, were you, like when, when you were at the grocery store, would you have a moment or would you have these moments where you were by yourself that you like contemplated it all again no I, I felt so much better that i knew i was fine oh that's awesome if that makes any sense i mean yeah I, i've always been somebody that uh, aside from this being nagging and i, I couldn't figure it out I, i've always been very sensitive to when i have a problem and uh no i could tell from the way i felt that i was fine i hadn't felt that good in 10 years so the moment that you got your prognosis and the moment that you were cleared how long was that time segment uh, two and a half months. Oh shit, that's good, brother. But and, yeah, there, and before that, how long were you feeling bad? I probably accelerated for about four years. Oh man, four years. From from initial onset, where I, I had no idea. I mean, if I look way back to just the random, you know, here it might be starting. It's probably six years. But in the beginning, it, the, the episodes are so sparse, you think it might be something you ate, this, that, you can't put your finger on it. Okay. So I love how your page, you often post uh, close-up pictures of crystals, which looks it, makes it look like glitchy art. It looks badass. 
And um, I wanted to know this time segment because um, you, we, we were talking earlier and you mentioned that crystals were a big part of you, you helping you go through this process. When, yeah. around when did you get exposed or learn about crystals? Um, I, I'd always been into rocks and collecting shells and you know anything you could find outside. But I had a friend of mine that I've known since I was in grade school that had moved out to California a couple of decades ago that I hadn't been in recent contact with. And my wife was in touch with him on social media and he sources and sells gemstones and crystals. And uh, she asked him for something to explain to him what had gone on with me and asked him for something that, you know, she could give to me as a gift <clears throat> and sent a piece of uh, bicolored grape agate out here. I was very taken with it. And basically that's what I did for the two months. I was not able to be completely up to speed was I sat there and learned about rocks and crystals and gemstones and the marketplace on them and where they come from. And basically that was how I whittled my time. So it was basically a gift out of the blue for you, that, that yeah. crystal. And so what that crystal, what was it again? What's it called? It was grape agate. Grape. It's like a, it looks like grapes, very sparkly, small purple. And what, what but, is that yeah, stone that, known for? What is its power? It, I, I really don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> but what, what I wound up getting into was quartz crystals, whether it was amethyst, aquamarine, heliodor, tourmaline. Um, that's basically what, what I got drawn to. And, you know, it. I don't know that much about crystal healing. What I do know is I carry a rock in my pocket almost every day, and the one I pick out is whatever one feels right. Yeah, I remember I talked to this one crystal guy at a flea market, and um, he actually knew a lot. And I, I told him, um, how do I know what rock to pick or what should I be looking for? And he said, look around, and whatever like uh, pops out to you, whatever catches your eye, that's what you need. And so, yeah. so he told me, go take, a, we were talking for a bit and he said, take a look around and, and see what you like. And I was looking at this one, I think it was called uh, Tiger Eye. Yeah. I, I picked it out and I said, man, this one looks really badass. And I, and, and, he, and I asked him, what is this one for? And this was kind of sort of around the time when I was starting my podcast. And uh, he said, mm -hmm. this one is to help you with communication. And I was like, oh shit, really interesting. Nice. I'm actually trying to do a podcast. And I've always had a problem with speaking with people because English is not my first language. And I used to have not a stuttering problem, but I would have a problem of just being able to speak freely. I would get so anxious about the words I'm gonna say and stuff. And so he said, okay, well here, take this one, take it. And then just tell me how you feel. And so I put it in my pocket. I didn't really think anything of it. And so the next time I did a podcast, I put it out and I put it right in front of me. And surprisingly, it did have an effect into how I was communicating. I don't know if it was the uh, placebo effect or subconscious thing, but, and that's right. the thing with that people always try to argue about, that crystals work or don't work, it's just bullshit or whatever, but it, it does something. And I don't know if it's the placebo effect yeah. or actual power, but you can't deny its power if you really. Yeah, and, and there again, I mean, I, I can't say a crystal has necessarily healed me, but I can say I carry a rock in my pocket every day. <laughs> there again it just it, it makes me feel better it for whatever reason whatever rock appeals to me that day just helps my day out right it's pretty undeniable but hard to put your finger on yeah yeah and that's what i always try to like when i find people who like crystals i'm like what is it what is the mystical power what is the thing that's making it work and it's just like it's really just you it's you and your mind yeah it's you and i mean i, I think you can put your energy into them to a degree um, and they talk about putting them in the sun to charge them, but like I've got an aquamarine that I, I, I carry with me 
a lot of days. And like when I had my artwork done, my tattoos put on, I, I held that aquamarine in my hand, just ran it through my fingers. And it's at this point, this stone's been through some stuff with me. And uh, yeah, it just, I don't, I don't know what it is about them. There again, I mean, there's people that swear by it and carry this one, that one, the other one and all your chakra points and, and all of that. And I haven't gone that far with it, but uh, I do find it makes a difference in how I feel. Yeah, and then to bring it back, you were saying how you were really into quartz. That's what computers are made of. And that's what the ancient Egyptians made their like structures out of uh, quartz because they knew it had some type of power. I, I don't know how exactly it works, but um, computers are basically made out of the, these quartz materials. Well, all, all of your uh, digital watches, it's one electron a second coming off a piece of cork, so it'll keep time. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know beyond that. Yeah, when I try to think about it, like one time I was on mushrooms and I, I was really trying to figure out, I was just meditating on crystals and trying to figure out what is it about them other than they look pretty and rare and, and I don't know, it's just something about them that makes you want to touch them or, or grab them. Apart some from, of them, right? Yeah. Some of them. Yeah. Some of them you're like, that one. Right. But other ones, you, you don't care, right? It's interesting. So I was wondering, what is it? Where is it getting its power? And I started meditating on it, and I got this vision in my head. I saw a crystal, and I zoomed into it, and I saw it. And I had read that crystals are basically uh, atomic structures that are aligning in such a way that they're geom geometrically perfect. So that's why you'll get some crystals that are like perfect cubes or perfectly straight. And so the, the scientific way of explaining it is that the atoms are arranging in such a way that are, they are perfectly straight. So the way that they arrange comes out in such a way that it's, you're seeing basically the atomic structure in, in, in a macro scale. So the, yeah. the thought that I got was that, man, what if these are atomic antenna? And what they're doing is that they're, they're, since they're structured in such a way that's geometrically basically perfect, Maybe it's harnessing something from the ether. Something's running to, through it because it's such a perfect structure atomically. Right. I don't know. That's just what I came yeah, up with. Yeah, and like I have gone as far as putting black tourmaline around everything in my house that emits EMF. Okay, well, explain that, please. Um, whether it's your router or your smart TV or, you know, any of that type of stuff, it, it all emits uh, electromagnetic frequency. And whether that's the stuff... Some people tell you it feeds spirits. Some people tell you it just messes with you internally. But setting black tourmaline around everything from the video game console to the stereo to the television to the, the router uh, made a, you could feel the difference in the house. Uh, what is that called? Black tourmaline? Black tourmaline, yep. Can you spell that? T-O-U-R-M-A-L-I-N-E. It's very common, very inexpensive. Okay, I'm going to check that one out. Yeah, because I've heard... Uh, on several podcasts, people talk about, I think, Igor or some things that they make. They look like pyramids, and they, you're supposed to put them near your router. And then I've even seen videos where they have an EMF reader, and, yeah. and they'll aim it at nothing outside, and it'll be low or whatever. And then they'll put it right next to the Wi-Fi router that everyone has now in their home, and it's yeah. like off the, off the range, off the scale. And then he puts the whatever pyramid or whatever organ or whatever the thing is, he puts it right next to the router and it like drastically um, goes down. Yeah, I mean, in the UK, they won't even let children be in school in a room with a router. And yet we've got all got them in our house. It's, uh, it's amazing what we do to ourselves. Really? It's illegal, it's illegal to have uh, routers in schools? In, in a school room where, where the children are. 
Oh shit! Damn, I'm gonna look into that. Thank you. Let me write this down. Yeah, you're you're all the all the waves we transmit through our house are, are not good waves. Let's just say that we we pound ourselves with them these days. Whether it's the cell phone or or you know there again all the smart devices, all of that. We're just pounding ourselves with waves all the time. Right, and when I drive around, it's sad. I actually see some schools with the 5G towers right next to the school. It's, yeah, it's like goddamn. I don't know anything about 5G. I just what I my intuition is, you can't have something that's broadcasting all these signals no. at an amplified rate next to these kids who are growing. No, it, it it can't be good, is what you know. Right. You don't know what it does, but it can't be good. Right. Right. Um, okay, so. So you never had to take any pharmaceuticals. Were you already gardening at this point when you realized that you were sick? Uh, no, I've gotten, well, I mean, a, a little bit, but I've gotten way more into that afterwards. Uh, a lot more time outside, a lot more time off the screens. Right, and that's what I want to ask you. Knowing that you had a potentially deadly disease, how did it change your outlook on life and your behavior? <clears throat> It, uh, it, it made me look at it that there again, every day should have something in it. And it, it made me look at so much of what we occupy our mind with at, as pointless. I mean, there again, you're making automated decisions rather than conscious decisions so much of the day. Mm -hmm. And it made me realize that it, a lot of us carry this, I don't know if it was my generation or what it might be, but we carry this image of what you're supposed to be. You're, it's, it's the white picket fence, the two cars, the 2.3 kids, the happy marriage. There's all this what is considered normal. And, and all of that's an illusion. You should be spending your time doing whatever in the world makes you happy and, and get out of your own way. Um, fear left. I, 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 I don't fear anything anymore. Right. And so there's never, oh, this could happen, that could happen. Fear of things that haven't happened yet is gone. Um, and you realize how much energy that you waste in a day. Instead of putting it in a positive direction, it's going to positively impact your life. You just give it away. Right. Yeah. And that, that's probably the biggest thing I looked at differently on the other side of it. Yeah, I love that, man. And That's my whole thing with my Instagram account. It's just, to me, all of this is spiritual warfare. And what the main yes. goal is to capture your attention. It doesn't matter what it is, if it's porn, sports, um, yeah. television, music, whatever, anything, as long as it's pulling your attention from your life and your family and God and, and, and pulling it to other things that don't really, I mean, they could matter, have an impact, but it doesn't really have a, it's just pulling you away from source. That's what I've noticed. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, no offense to the Ukraine, but everybody wrapped up with the Ukraine. That's not going to affect your daily life in any way. Right. Everybody looking for a cause, everybody looking for acceptance, all these other things that they crave. And there again, so much of it because we lost the nuclear family. These people have no confidence, no self-worth, all these other things. And yeah, it's, it's wild where it's gone. It, it, the average person is so unaware that it's hard to really understand yeah, it's sad, man. And you would think in this sophisticated age we're in, you could pull a random person and ask them something. I, I don't know if you have Snapchat, but I, I have this Snapchat where they show, they go up to random people and just ask them questions like, what's the first state of America? Or uh, what are the seven mm -hmm. continents? And like most kids can't, it's sad, you, they, they can't answer you, these questions. You would think now that we put all the knowledge that's obtained in the world in the palm of your hand, 
you'd find something better to do than watch a cat video and argue with someone you're never going to meet. Right. And, and yet that's what people tend to do with the device. They, they, we had to look stuff up in the encyclopedia, use the card catalog. Things were hard. Information was hard to find. Right. And now it's everywhere, but the average person is dumbed down. Yeah. It's really odd. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I, right now, you just reminded me of something that I, my father used to do to me, and now I do to my daughter, which I think it's good, but it's, it's in a different way. So my dad, whenever we were off for summer and he would go work, we'd be at home, and he would... He knew idle hands are the devil's work. I mean, the devil yeah. works to people who have nothing to do, like looking at TikTok or Instagram all day. But uh, my dad would tell me, okay, today, he, he bought us an encyclopedia set, and he said, today I want you to write me a report on elephants or on, on the human eye or on, on this continent or just write a report on something. Look it up, learn, in, integrate right. that information, and then give me what you've learned from this. And I think that yeah. that did a big thing on me because now I'm pretty good at researching and, and looking up things. And a lot of kids don't have that. And I try to do it with my daughter. You know, I told her today, she's, it's summer and she was at home. I told her, uh, write me a report on strawberries. She loves strawberries, but we don't have an encyclopedia. So she had to go through YouTube and she could barely write me five facts. I mean, she is barely seven years old, but it's just like, right, man, right. at her age, I was writing paragraphs about... Uh, right rockets or saturn or whatever it's just like god damn i mean i love my daughter but come on girl you gotta step it up so i'm gonna be pushing her harder now i mean it, it was a different time then too my dad i mean i applaud him yet he kind of traumatized me because um he, he bought us he made us uh, a chalkboard and he after work he would he would force basically me and my other brother to learn the timetables or to learn division he taught us all that before a schooling system did nice and uh, but he would beat us like if we didn't get the right uh, answer, he would yeah. hit us. And uh, I mean, that really fucked with me. And right, right idea, wrong execution. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, I love that he did that because uh, me and my older brother are kind of the smartest one of the family because of that. But then also we're kind of afraid now of authority. And I kind of thwarted that right. through mushrooms and integrating and healing myself sort of. But like, yeah, I did do a number on me to kind of like uh, really think about what I'm going to say before I say it. Right. Right. Okay, so moving on, I want to, okay, I saw you have posted something uh, about your son. He was in a scary car accident. Tell me about yeah. that, please. Yeah, uh, basically, he was on his way home from the gym, and an 18, we're out in the country, right? So an 18-wheeler with huge rolls of hay on the back was catty corner in the street, and the trailer was black. The hay actually matched the overpass of the bridge that was further in the distance. And he drove right into it at 55 miles an hour Shit. into the corner of an 18 wheeler. And uh, it, it, it tore the car apart. It somehow it threw the motor to the passenger seat where no one was. And uh, he wound up with really just other than three stitches to his left knee where the body of the car got him. Uh, it was a, uh, lacerated liver and a broken nose, both from seatbelt and airbags. It was all safety equipment. Wow. But yeah, it, looking at it, he, he shouldn't be here anymore. Yeah, man, I, I saw the picture on your Instagram. Do you want people, do you want to sh share your Instagram account? Oh, you're fine, yeah. Would sure. it, uh, get, plug it up, please. It's uh, JDG Perspectives. Yeah, JDG underscore Perspectives. Yeah, uh, yeah, there's a picture on the car. It, it, it it hit the driver's side so hard that I could get my fist in the passenger side 
between the door and the body, put my fist in there sideways. Yeah, it looks fucked up, man. man. He crawled out the back and because uh, he couldn't get the doors open and then crawled out the back of the car and asked a lady who had stopped to borrow her phone and called home and, and didn't need to like hit the mom button, right? Right. He actually knew the number, called home and said, hey, I'm down the street and I need help. That's so rare. So many kids would not know their mom's phone. Number. No, not at all. I mean, there again, I, I like to think I, I, I've raised men and not children. Oh, I'm, I'm sure you did, brother. Just by talking to you, like, that's what it is too. I, I can see people in the street and just the way they carry themselves. I hate, I hate to judge, but you could tell how they, how they raise their kids, kind of. You, you can, and I mean, it, you know, there, there's something to be said for you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can profile a whole lot in this world. Yeah. And it's just a natural reaction. It's not anything to be ashamed of. Right. So did, so your son going through this crazy experience, did he have like something also like a transcendental moment like you did? You know, really what, what I kept trying to get him to look at, and I asked him about that right before, I guess a day or two ago, about it as you had brought that up, that what I really tried to drill into him is you must be here for a reason. There's a whole lot of people that get removed on a daily basis to things that are not their fault. And you should have been removed and you're not. I mean, by, by, by every look of that thing, he should have been dead, not just hurt. And uh, yeah, I, I really impressed upon him that you're here for a reason. And, and it did. I mean, for a kid that was 18 years old at the time, it, it it grew him up, for for lack of a better term. I, I can't say that he I, he did. When I asked him the other day, he doesn't really look at things different, other than the fact that he's like he said the same thing I did. I'm not, I'm not afraid of things anymore. Wow, damn! Coming from a, a young person, that's amazing. Um, what was I going to say? Shit, I had a really good thought. Just to hear something like that from a young person is amazing. What was I tying it to? Yeah, and so that reminds me, because um, my, my whole life I've always wondered, what, what is it about some people that they take the moment, like they don't have to go through a, 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 an experience like that, to really like look at their life and see, am I on the right path? Do they really question themselves? Do they really have a plan? What separates that kind of person from the type of person who's ignorant, who doesn't really have a plan, who has that kind of go with the flow attitude that doesn't really, it's not really ambitious. What is it that separates these kinds of people? And to me, the thing that I've kind of come up with is that you need to have that experience, like uh, either having a psychedelic trip, a near-death experience, uh, a breakup, uh, even falling down or getting hurt. It's getting pushed into a place of discomfort where you're yes. like, where you're like, holy shit, I, something's not right, and then you re-examine things, and you're like, okay, well, something's wrong, let's figure it out. And a lot, like, yeah. like we tied earlier, people have it so good that they don't have that moment. Like they don't even have that moment when they're taking a shit. Like they're on their phone. They don't have that that right. moment. Which in the past, I'm sure a lot of people either had a brilliant ideas or maybe like a, a moment where they like had a change of thought while they were taking a shit because there was a moment where they were by themselves that they really had a, a chance to like really contemplate something. But now they people have been even robbed from that. Yeah, very much so. I mean, it really comes down to believing you could be wrong about anything. And then a lot of self-reflection. I mean, like you keep referring to psychedelics, the whole life-death cycle of the psychedelic trip, the whole self-realization, the whole coming to terms with who you are for better or worse and deciding what to do about that. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I totally agree, brother. Okay, so um, I also saw another one on your post that said that you owned an all-hemp store in the 90s? I did. My wife and I owned the first hemp store in Atlanta. Holy shit. Okay, tell me about that, because every time I think about how can we change or save the world, hemp is the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah, it, it, we, we, we were 25 years early, I have to say, that nothing was legal. You could go to jail for selling hemp lotion. Um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, if there is one thing on this earth that we were given that can do almost anything, that's it. Mm-hmm. Anything from build your house to fuel your car to make your clothes. The, uh, the runoff from making paper out of hemp is not toxic like it is out of pine. It's actually fertilizer. Damn, yeah. You could you could make your fast food carton out of hemp, eat it for dessert with a mint flavor, and throw it out and let it be fertilizer for wherever it falls. Exactly. I mean, there, yeah. There, it, it really is. If you if you were to look at it in old school biblical sense, it it's the tree of life. Yes. Yeah. It, it can give us everything we need, and and we just we've decided we're too smart. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's actually uh, this quote in the Bible. It says something along the lines that uh, the tree of life is at the side of either river and that with it, the, the leaves that this plant gives each month uh, are, the, are the leaves that will heal the nations. And if you look at it that way, a, a wheat plant or a hemp plant, every month is producing a product and it has all kinds of products that you can make out of it and it can literally heal you. It can literally clothe you. It can make your home. All the well, things... It, you know, if we hadn't had the, you know, like you were talking about Rockefeller and the fossil fuels, if we hadn't had that push, we'd have gone the right direction with it. But, you know, they turned around, banned it, decided it was illegal because it, anyone could grow it at home. It's, it's affordable and it's cheap and it's easy and you can't get a monopoly on it. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, they've done their best to make it to where anything that you may want is something you can't make at home. Right. So how did you open a hemp store if it was illegal back then? Um, it, it, we just did it. <laughs> we, we, we pretty much just did it. I mean, they were putting people in jail in Alabama and not here in Georgia. Um, Georgia's a little looser. Um, but we, we had some friends that were spending time in Jamaica and had learned all about hemp, and we bought into it. And uh, opened up basically a clothing store, boutique, you know, lotions and soaps and clothes and things of that nature. Awesome. So to educate the world, man. Hell yeah, I love it. So you, it, so it, it it wasn't from you experiment with marijuana before or anything. It was a friend. Oh, I'd been smoking marijuana for years at oh, that point. I, I, that. I already had no problem with that. I mean, I, I'd already <laughs> come to terms. There again, I grew up with an alcoholic stepfather. I'd already come to terms with the fact that marijuana wasn't going to make me a bad person. Right. Yeah. Anything can get in your way, but provided it's not in your way, it either moves you towards what you're doing or away from it. And, uh, yeah, marijuana very much calms my ADD, lets me focus on things rather than just bouncing from one thing to the next. Exactly. Yeah, that's how I feel. I feel cannabis truly has helped me. If it wasn't for cannabis, I think I would truly have done something crazy or insane. Yeah, me too. It, me too. I would have abused something. Uh-huh. It, it, it would have been bad because I, I wasn't very tolerant of what's going on. Right. Yeah, I think it's a beautiful plant. And so... So you had to close the shop, or what happened? Uh, we ran it till it was time. You know, businesses run through progressions, and you hit that point where it's time to either move it to the next phase or close it down. And it was time for us to move it and take on more debt and, and grow the thing or not. Mm. 
and we had children and we were living a good way away from the city at that point and we decided just to fold it right yeah I, I agree with that times are changing but it's crazy how now that's the new thing it's having a resurgence but i think it was done because the corporations wanted the time to set up their whole industry so they can control it and monopolize oh, yeah. it very much so when I mean, you wind up where all the hemp gets farmed at the same place that the wheat does right it'll all, it'll all be corporate true i agree so as we're closing, I want to get your thoughts on what are what are your, what is your opinion on the afterlife, or what happens when when we all go. You know, I, there's a big part of me that believes in reincarnation, and not only in that, but in a bit of a soul matrix to where the people that are your parents, your spouse, your best friends could have been involved in your life prior to that. Mm-hmm. And I honestly believe we run this gambit till we feel like we did whatever it is we needed to do and got it down the way we wanted it to go to a degree. And I feel like that's why sometimes people feel out of place or are out of time or you're like, God, I, I wish it was like it was a hundred years ago. Well, you may be more familiar with that than, you know, right. Yeah. That's and a- I, you know, coming into religion and, and all of it, I mean, I, I was raised outside the church completely, but exposed to a lot of different religions through family and friends. And then went to a Jesuit high school where I, I, I learned the old school biblical stuff and, you know, voodoo's real, exorcism's real, you know, a lot of, a lot of harsh realities that the church in general probably wouldn't preach. Mm. And what, I, what I've come to the conclusion of through all the years and studying different religions is that the old ones were right. The Old Testament could be right, but I don't buy into Christianity. The, the Jews could very well be right. The Buddhists could be right. And honestly, if you tie all that into, you know, I don't know how familiar you are with Anunnaki history or ancient alien theory, all of that. Oh, yeah. Instead of one religion being right, they could actually all be right. And you didn't really find that one religion was trying to kill another religion till modern day. Hmm, that's interesting. My, my, my two cents. I mean, the, the Romans, the Romans crucified Jesus and then promoted Christianity. I mean, the modern religions seem more fear-based and, and, you know, the old religions aren't. Judaism is a good example. It's not fear-based at all. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it it seems you would think that religion is there to help you, but nowadays it's kind of used as a tool for fear, like kind of to pacify that yearning question of what comes after death. Yeah, very, very much so. And, and, you know, there again, if you were to, if you were to tie it all together to ancient alien theory and try to make it make sense, there was multiple civilizations spawned in, in the image of whoever spawned them. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you wind up with stuff that's very, very similar. It's just a slightly different take, you know, and there again, the Buddhists don't, you know, don't contend the Hindus and vice versa. It doesn't. The old religions were were there again, not not fear based, not <clears throat> not there to, you know, go to war over. Or you're doing it wrong. It was all about acceptance. Right. Yeah. Becoming one with God and stuff. And one with God, one with yourself, one with the environment. And and you know, like even when you look at Christianity, you wouldn't think that ten rules and seven pitfalls would really be that freaking difficult when some of the rules are gimmies. You know, mm-hmm. it shouldn't be that difficult, in all honesty, to be a good person. But why do you think it is? Why do you think it's so hard for people to? I know it's systematically being 
pushed on us. I don't know. But. It's a good question. I'd like to say so much of it is societal, but I think that just amplified it. I mean, people have been evil since the dawn of time. You've had good and bad, power hungry. I, I, I wish I knew. Mm. Yeah, yeah, because I you got you got to I think what I think what you have is an age old problem compounded by modern civilization. Right. Yeah. And right now it's Hitler's dream exists with all this technology that can basically put us in the final. I mean, right now we're we're basically walking through the Old Testament like it's not even happening. I, I, I'm totally confused by the whole thing. I mean, if you were to take the book of Revelation to go, it's going to happen. You're like, no, it's not. And then you look at what's actually going on, and it sure looks like that's what's going on. Right. Yeah. Who's to know? Yeah, who is to know? That's true. That's, that, that's the thing with all of this. You really can't know until you're there. So it's kind of well, What like... it really comes down to, to me, I mean, the, the age-old fight is compliance and servitude or not. Right. True. And, you know, you're either the kind of person that wants to do what they're told to do so you can feel like you did it right, or you're the kind of person that follows your heart and knows what's right and wrong for yourself. Instead of being quote unquote religious, you're more spiritual right. and paying attention to your path and your impact rather than trying to get somebody else to tell you what to do and, and hoping that they're a great person. Right, exactly. Breaking all the bricks. It's all so detached. Modern religion is so detached from you and your responsibility and that voice inside you that you know is right. You know right and wrong. Everyone knows right and wrong. <laughs> You know, it, it's it's inherent. They just it, they they choose not to do it. True. Yeah. You, we all have that voice, and, and and a lot of us end up killing it through either. Yeah, drugs a, or... a lot of people too. I mean, you, that voice tells you to do something. Don't second guess yourself. Listen, it's right. It knows more than you do. Right. And I mean, that was a a, a tough lesson in my life to listen to. Is that you actually are that smart? You, you think you couldn't know those things, but you do. Don't don't second guess yourself and go. Well, I'm just being stupid, because you're not. Right. You've been programmed to believe that's the way it is. It looks bad on paper. Don't do it. But I mean, my whole life has been desire and bad on paper. Mm. I, all of it, and and I've loved every minute of it. Yeah. I do what I feel like I'm supposed to do. I love that. I, I, that makes me think of every time that I go with my gut feeling. It's usually almost always a very good outcome. <laughs> And then the times that I don't, I usually always regret it. And I say, man, why didn't I do that? I should have just done, when, done yeah, it. I mean, the times it doesn't really work out for you, but you did listen to yourself, it was saving you from something worse. Oh, she, I didn't even think you about know, that. I it's not that it didn't work out. It's that it was going to be really bad. Now it's just kind of bad. Wow, I didn't ever thought about it. Thank you, man. Now I'm going to carry that with me. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So I usually ask someone to, to end with a good positive thought, but I think that's perfect. I, people, whenever you feel like you followed your gut instinct and things didn't work out, maybe you saved yourself from something even terrible that could have happened. So yep. even and, if and my, it looks like my, it's not looking good, I mean, you're alive. So my best advice to anybody out there is whether you believe you can do it or you can't, you're right. And just get out of your own way. Drop the fear, drop drop the uncertainty, drop the self-doubt, and just go do it. Don't give a damn about the image. Just go be you. I love it. I love it, brother. All right, well, David, so thank you for joining us, man. I always love having these talks with these strangers, and I always end up feeling like I went to church, like I feel uplifted, and I, I'm hopeful again now. I love it. I'm honored. All right, so plug up your Instagram. Is there anything else you want people to check out that's yours? Uh, no, there's not, man. I just... I. Everybody do right by you and, and make every day count. 
Right. So y'all go check out J D G G J fuck J D G underscore perspectives. He has like pretty cool pictures of um, um, minerals and stones. It's just kind of it looks like glitchy art. And it's just this cool. is my, my life and what I see and what I do. Yep. All right, people. That that was David G for y'all. Um, I hope y'all like this talk. And I, w- I always just like talking to people who are like on that verge of basically the abyss. Because because once you see the abyss, you kind of you, like David and all the people usually say they're not afraid anymore, and fear is the, the true virus, and we want to avoid that. So thank you all for listening. Uh, check out my Instagram is truth dot in dot media. And um, I usually put this QR code on there. It's a series of videos that I feel have the potential to wake up a normal person. So if I have this QR code. If you scan it or share it with a buddy, have them scan it. It's going to take you to YouTube. It's about almost 300 videos now. And it starts off with Terrence McKenna telling us that, that there's n- this new idea, this new way that's emerging that's going to liberate humanity. And we just have to stick to it. And I'd always like to end with... Know thyself, improve thyself, find the others, and then you'll know what to do. Um, I wanted to end with this song. I asked for David of a song that could help tie all of this together. And he sent me the song called Love and Hate. Can you give us a brief rundown of what this song kind of speaks to you, David? Yeah, it, uh, it, it, it talks about the basics and, and it talks about self-doubt. And uh, it talks about trying to be true to yourself and, and get the most out of it. I like it. I love it. All right, guys. So thank you for listening. Uh, check us out. I'm going to play this song. It's about seven minutes long. And then uh, stick with me. Uh, till then, David, I want to talk to you a little bit off the air. And then we'll go from there. You got it. Keep doing what you do, brother. I love it. All right, brother. Thank you for being on here. Know thyself. Improve thyself. Find the others. And then you'll know what to do. This is Love and Hate by Michael Kiwanuka. Peace.
peace.